0: The Elder Hebrides is the r- last ramparts of the Gaelic language, the Gaelic culture of the ancient past. My father and my mother couldn't talk English. And there's only 80,000 in Scotland today that talks the ancient language of the Gael. What we are scared of, is, you see, is that, that even what's left of our culture is going to be swamped by... What's coming on the scene now? The onrush of oil and what God's to come in its week. It It's as near as that.
1: Probably one quality which the person from the islands has is something of the quality of the homing pigeon in many ways. And that no matter where you let him go, he ends up wanting to go back to his own home loft. Historically, people have had to go away. Many of them have wanted to go away for a while of their lives. But if you ask any of them, no matter where they are, uh, where they would like to be, they will tell you in the islands, in the Isle of Lewis.
2: If the traveler or the homecomer takes the Sulvan across the Minch from Ullapool on the Scottish mainland, the first shipboard view of the double island favors the southern part, Harris. The treeless peaks soar higher. The land separates itself more resolutely from the shoreline. But Lewis recaptures your attention near land because Lewis has Stornoway, the main port, and it presents itself admirably a shorefront row of stone-faced shops and hotels, and a town hall that somehow manages to combine Victorian frivolity and Calvinistic severity. The only disturbance to the eye sits on the nearby point of Arnish, seemingly a gargantuan garage, but more of that later. The ship is close enough to see the people of Lewis and Harris, separate equals. Lewis men Kenneth Smith and Norman MacDonald, and Harris' woman, Morag McKenzie.
3: Harris is different probably from Lewis in that Lewis has Stornoway, which is quite a big town, so that probably everything centres on Stornoway. whereas in Harris you tend to have a whole lot of small villages. The pace of life certainly is very much slower and gentler than in Lewis.
4: The Harrisman is much contenter passion, and I've often wondered if it, is, if it has anything to do with the dull, sort of uninteresting terrain of Lewis, that people feel, well, we must get away from here and do something more positive, whereas in Harris you've got beautiful hills, lochs, and uh, sea inlets, and I think this has something to do with the, that marvellous uh, sense of humour that they develop.
3: Even the appearance of Lewis people, I think, sometimes is different, because you see a great many tall, fair-haired Lewismen... But th- how does people tend to be smallish and dark, generally? must be the old picked bloodiness, I think.
4: I have very little difficulty in Lewis, in uh, placing uh, Lewis people once they speak, and especially if they speak in Gaelic, because I think the Gaelic dialects are very, very distinctive. Uh, for example, in Point, you're... Uh, and then... Going across to the west coast and to a more isolated area, you come to the Uyghurs, and they... And then you can go over the border from Lewis, right into Harris, and there you come, I think, to a very much a richer kind of voice, and to to my way of thinking, I think, a much a much pleasanter form of Gaelic. And you listen to a good man from, say, Scarpe or Talbot saying... Oh, nice, you will do like a pain in the golden beach in the juice, and a In my time, when we first went to school, most of the kids with me at school were Gaelic only. They had to learn English when they first came. I was perhaps more fortunate in that uh, my father being a minister. English was used in the maths to a very large extent when visitors came, and he, had the, he instilled the very good habit of conducting family worship in English one night, in Gaelic another night, and we were taught to read both languages as, as children, so that we had really that advantage over the local people. Uh, nowadays, uh, family worship has, as you probably know, died away altogether, to a very large extent anyway, and we find children now coming to school with no knowledge at all of reading, uh, or uh, no ability to read in Gaelic.
1: Uh, translated into English, Kenneth Angus McKeever, Assistant Director of the Highland Society. The association came into being in the 1890s when people uh, realized that uh, Gaelic was not being given a fair deal either by uh, successive governments in the country through lack of teaching of the language and generally by implication more than by active thought word or deed uh, trying to destroy the language.
4: In in recent years there has been an upsurge of interest in Gaelic, a sort of a new attitude towards Gaelic and the Scottish Education Department for the first time uh, have shown that they are um, quite prepared to accept Gaelic as one of the languages, one of the subjects to be taught in schools and there's a greater freedom in the use of Gaelic uh, at the time of my father went to school, Gaelic, in fact, was banned within the school itself. In my case, uh, I can teach Gaelic, as I do myself, and uh, there are more books on the market. But I think the the new interest stems, I think, from the, the spread of tourism. To a very large extent, it is the learners of Gaelic who have, I think, brought in this new interest. And gradually, some of the local people are beginning to see that uh, Gaelic has its, its advantages.
1: It is probably not so concise a language as English, in that uh, thoughts and things which can be dismissed with one word in English uh, need a few words to describe them in Gaelic. But with these few words, I think the sentiment behind whatever the feeling is is much more accurately described. And in fact, this is what many people who try and learn the language find difficult.
4: You have a tremendous variation in vocabulary... If you take the word for just an ordinary towel, a hand towel, now in Lewis you would call this item a tuelch, which is just a corruption of the Gaelic word towel, tuelch. But go down to Harris and you'd find the same article referred to as sharaeter. Now there appears to be no connection whatsoever between these two words, but sharaeter is a very, very pure and old Gaelic word for this kind of item.
1: To give an example of these various shades of meaning and adjectives and this kind of thing, this is a verse from uh, one of the most famous Gaelic poets, Duncan Ban McIntyre. I'll uh, have a go in Gaelic first of all, and then I'll do the English bit. So, viola de luch noch liam chluasach, glas chrynyach anoch choeon neloch, si glan uchtard gilemanoch. I even, I find that difficult to translate, to to say, because it's not, you wouldn't do it nowadays. Uh, That means, there's the aquatic, sleek-eared watercress. Grey-green, round-headed, tender, dimly blue, growing clean, high-breasted, dandelike, beneath its white, complete, peculiar crown. Where one adjective could do, you know, but half a dozen were used. So it really was, in the days gone by, a language of
5: poets.
4: <speaking in> language> this is a VHF Gaelic broadcast for schools. Today's theme, entitled Songs of the Islands, explores the descriptive powers of selected Gaelic birds, writing in praise of their native islands. In, in we have, have a very special Natoque, land of... Uh, songs, uh, although perhaps the range is is in a way limited. One thing I find with with the Hebrideans, they they have a marvellous sense of humour, and something interesting happens or something amusing happens in a village, and you find that the village poet, within a matter of a day or so, has composed a song to uh, uh, commemorate this, and I would ask myself, does this come down from the old tradition of the clan bard, where you had uh, the clan appointed their bard, and it was his job, of course, to uh, put in song, uh, poem or poetic form, uh, the achievements of the clan, the clan chief and the battles he fought and this kind of thing. So that now you have in villages, in the Hebrides, you have the local poet who... I'm thinking of people particularly like uh, Murdo Macfarlane of melburst Now, Murdo is in his 70s, an ordinary crofter, uh, retired just recently. He was a storeman at the local aerodrome. But Murdo's quite capable of writing uh, a song about, say, an incident, uh, something that happens perhaps in the harbour, two boats collide, and there's an awful row about the loss of the cargo or the loss of the fish, and uh, two or three days later you find not Murdo, but somebody else from the village reciting this song, uh, but with a sort of uh, smile on his face saying, it's not really mine, you know who's done this.
0: Oginandra, racket is Langish, your voice, Langish, your garish. Oh, oh, here, Lirikoo, Chirigan, you, Mohun, Mabemet. What I do is I snatch items out of the civilization which I saw. You see, I'm in a unique position at seventy four. The civilization in which I was born into and grew up, I won't die in it. The civilization in which my father and mother was born into, they died in it, but I won't. It's a completely new civilization now. Now what I endeavor to do is snatch something out of the past civilization of what I saw and put it to music so that the coming generation will know that such a thing existed as people cutting seaweed with a sickle this is a seaweed cutting song oh no. I composed Malamar, that is the toll of the sea. The sea, as we know, is a cruel sea. To give you an instance of how cruel the sea can be, a year last uh, November, I think, a young fisherman was drowned. He was married to a relation of mine. And I knew the lad well, and his parents very well. And, of course, I called at the old parents. It was a small village, and that was the third drowning that year. But what she told me was this. The only time I ever saw my father crying, and he was a big, strong, husky man, the only time I ever saw him crying, having tears in his eyes, was in a New Year's morning in 1919. A ship had sank in the, at the mouth of the harbour in Stornoway, the Eyelere. Her father had gone early to see what happened. How did the village fare? She said, we saw him coming across the hill, and my mother met him. And she asked him in Gaelic, Jetanayoch, what is your news? He said, The two Ianes are drowned. That's two brothers in the next house. But she said, That wasn't the end of it. There was only 23 houses in the village, but there were 11 wakes in this small village that very night that shows you the toll people pay to the
5: sea
6: Well, I've been fishing uh, for t- over two years now, but previous to that I spent 20 years uh, deep sea in the mercantile marine. Travelled pretty well every part of the world from Japan to the States, and you name it, I've been there. This is quite a change, but I like it very much. The usual fishing is prawn and whitefish, and uh, we usually spend at the maximum maybe three days at sea at a time. We usually leave home on the midnight Sunday and uh, Finish up on the Friday evening about six o'clock. That's our usual week's work, providing we don't get held up by weather or anything like
7: that. Fishing today is a it's a pretty expensive business to, to run. you all the marine electronics you've got to carry aboard the boat and fuel costs, maintenance costs of course they're they're very high. Today I suppose a thousand trick about a thousand pounds to rig out a boat for fishing. Uh, in the past, well I'm not very familiar with it, but I've seen the boats here, and uh, it was mainly driftnet net fishing they were doing here under sail until uh, the latter part, just after the end of the war. when they, there was a few ex-navy M.F.V.s came, and they were rigged out for uh, long lining, till about I suppose be about 15 years ago they started on the bottom trawl, and so it's developed up to the modern day, where they're working pair trawls and purse scenes. the largest be about three, four miles long and about 200 feet deep. And uh, the ship just tracks down the herring with sonar and encircles it and then draws the net into a close, just like a purse, and the herring is sucked out. In other words, it's got absolutely no chance. As it is today, it's maybe too modern. The fish don't have much hopes now, with sonar and all the new stuff they carry. And the herring that comes into the munch here comes from the North Atlantic, and, of course, up until the time it reaches the 12-mile limit, it's under the threat of the Norwegians and the, the Danes. They're all working the purse in there. By the time it reaches here, really very little.
6: I think within a few short years, the stocks will be run down to nothing at all. So the future doesn't look exactly bright at the moment.
8: My name is Bill Scott and I'm a fish merchant. I'm all for the 50-mile limit, and that's uh, it's certainly not a selfish attitude we have at all, but we just just want to preserve what we, we have. The foreigners there, they've gone and ruined their own grounds, and they've taken an awful lot of herring and fish out of the minches, and I fear that if these foreigners continue to fish out here, there'll be nothing at all landed here. Those, ships, those foreign ships just go straight to their home port, and... We certainly won't have any fish or reserves of any kind to keep the industry going.
7: I would hope to carry on fishing, but uh, I'd like to get a bigger boat someday when uh, if things improve here. get maybe three or four years more out of this boat and maybe buy a, a larger boat then. Unless
6: my son gets married, he's the only one I've got, so it's up to him now. The ball's more or less at his feet.
7: So <laughs> I can't say much about that. I would think I probably would be fishing for the rest of my life. I think the bug has got into me now.
2: At the mouth of Stornoway's outer harbour is the rocky point of Ironish. Here in the spring of 1746, Bonnie Prince Charlie hid from his seekers and watched the lights of Stornoway anxiously as his pilot tried to hire a boat in town to take the royal fugitive to France. Today, the Arnish landscape is utterly changed by a sprawling complex of structures designed for the manufacture of equipment for pumping oil from the North Sea. Lewis Offshore Limited, Stornway, is a subsidiary of Fred Olson Limited, London, in turn controlled largely by the Acre Industrial Group, Norway. In short, international oil-related industry has come to Lewis small beside those on the eastern Scottish mainland, where the oil waits offshore, but large enough to transform the economy and the lives of the Lewis folk. My name is uh, Donald Macaulay, and I have been recently appointed uh, convener of the Western Isles Council. As I see the situation at the moment, with the advent of the oil business, I think we have the first opportunity in the Western Isles we've had for a thousand years, if you like. The parish where I was brought up in the island of Lewis has um, exported every graduate it has produced for the past 300 years. Now, uh, this is a sad thing to say. It's always the people with ambition, the people with a drive, an initiative and an impetus. They, They are the ones to go away first and they would be the ones that would contribute most to their own community if they had employment there.
9: As far as money is concerned, we're needing it into this island. But in a way, I feel it's going to be a big change. There's too many of the foreigners coming in, and they're taking over the place as far as homes. And uh, when we were growing up, we never needed to lock a door, because different people lived in the island and now it's all going to be changed, all these strangers coming in because we don't know where we are
6: Well I'm not worried about this Um, in the first place we are insisting here that out of the thousand men who will eventually work at Arnish that about six to eight hundred will be local people so we will only have perhaps about two hundred incomers, people who are worried should remember that during the war we had equal numbers or more of servicemen here, and we managed to cope with them quite well. We've even coped with the Vikings, and, and we've coped with the with the five adventurers who came here in the 16th century to take over the place, and we coped with them quite well. I don't see why we can't cope with a few hundred uh, gentlemen uh, at Darnish, even, even when they do go out on a Friday night. If thousands
5: were sighted in Stornoway, that would have a tremendous effect. But if they were... Divided and a site made over in Carloway, see another site in Ness. And now that would relieve the situation because, educational wise, the schools at the moment here are bursting at the seams.
10: The impact of a big industrial project like Olson's in Stornoway has already been considerable, but it has been tactfully handled. They are a good developer they have adjusted themselves to certain old-fashioned traditions like the uh, great reluctance of people here to work on Sunday, uh, which uh, seems to us in other parts of Scotland to be carrying things to a very considerable extreme. In other parts of Scotland, Sunday working, um, as and where required, is perfectly acceptable. But here it's a long-standing tradition to the
5: contrary. The sabbath it is very precious, really, to us here. And in fact, the, the, the community is very keen that that any of the oil-related industries that set up here should not take away from us the peace and the quietness of Sunday. So, uh, yeah, I understand that that uh, there is written into contract something to safeguard us against that encroachment upon Sunday as we know it. Because still here, we, we retain the, the, the old Scottish Sabbath and a uh, work ceasing and people going to church. I am Angus McCulloch and I've been minister here since uh, 1950. I'm in over here in the Church of Scotland and I've got um, two kinds of services every Sunday. There's a Gaelic service and an English service. In Gaelic we sing nothing but uh, psalms and it is a presenter who leads the singing. One thing that strikes uh, a stranger hearing Gaelic church singing for the first time is uh, the tunes seem to be different from anything he has known, but they are actually the same tunes which we use as we use in singing uh, English psalms, but somehow or other the, the, the tempo is slower with this technique of presenting every line... ...there seem to have been introduced certain grace notes... ...and it takes quite a while for a person to realise... ...that these are the very tunes he's been used to singing in English... ...all the days. Of course, this, this, I suppose, goes back to the days... When, ...when people weren't able to read... ...and when they didn't have uh, copies of the Bible in their hand. There was the presenter... Uh, ...sometimes, I suppose, to be the local schoolmaster and during the service he would lead the singing and each line before it was sung would be presented by the presenter. He would, as it were, chant the, the line.
1: social scene for the young person in lose at the present time isn't particularly an enticing one we're in the middle of a kind of a dilemma at the present time from the day when everybody made their own entertainment to the way they see life in the big city where they can go out anywhere and get entertainment and pay for it
0: think of when I was a boy in what we called the Cayley House the Cayley House was a gathering house
3: in a village they used to have one Cayley House usually to which people went, it was usually because the the lady of the house or the man of the house had a particularly pleasant personality it was a good storyteller and everybody, all the young people used to congregate in that house but nowadays this goes on more or less only at New Year time Everybody comes along and everybody more or less has to sing or to play or to do something, except the very untalented ones like myself who sit and listen. The time when one hears old songs, which have been handed down for generations, you hear some of the older men singing songs at New Year time, which you never, ever hear at any other times, but probably way back you would hear this almost every, every night. This is when they learnt them. I know this is when my own father learned to get many of his songs. It was from attending Cayley's
0: when he was young and he still remembers quite a lot. <laughs> now, there was something unique about the Cayley It didn't really belong to the people of the house 100%. I'd seen these Cayley houses full up to the door, but nobody belonged to the house who'd be in. I've seen the man of the house coming up from the barn to the kitchen, and he would find that there was no place for him to sit there. But he wouldn't, he w- he wouldn't say to anybody, get up and give me a place to sit on. He'd take his shoes off and sit on the front of the bed, and he'd lit his pipe, and he'd sit there. Now, here's a man content, with very little of the materialistic things of life. I'm Mrs
9: McCaskill, and I'm chairman of the Social Work Committee of the Western Isles Islands Council. The old Cayley House, as such, has disappeared. I would say that possibly both the the improvement in the internal part of the house and television have really abolished the Cayley House. No longer can people walk in with their big boots or their wellingtons and sit down on the wooden bench and gather round the peat fire because um, whereas there was a clay floor before there's now either a very highly polished floor or a carpet and uh, naturally people say well I'd rather not come in and business is done on the doorstep perhaps there's a tendency to overemphasise the house, as opposed to it being a home, as it used to be.
2: One place that still presents a friendly, welcome clutter is the Croft, a small rural landholding and the rhythmic clack of the man-powered loom inside the small stone house still sounds like it's saying things are never too busy to stop a while. The Lewis crofter, he has tenure on his few acres for a nominal summer year, a throwback to the days of the giant Scottish clans when the chieftain assigned property to the clansmen and the land was used to the full. Today, a few sheep may graze on the croft, a small garden patch may grow on it, but probably little else. The crafter more likely is indoors, in a shed attached to his house, at a foot-powered loom, weaving world-famous Harris Tweed.
8: These looms are made in England and there, When we bought these, they were about 36 pounds. Now they're about 300, I suppose. That's the difference in the price going up. And uh, they're still the same room, still the same. There's no change in them since 1936, I think. It can weave anything uh, up to half a dozen colour in the tweed. You can do a tweed uh, as wide as 40 inches. I've been doing it except during the war year since I was 15, and that's 40 years ago. And, uh, I don't mean to drop it now because <laughs> there's nothing else I can do. Years ago they used to do it by all by hand then. They used to take the dye, crottle they called it, off the studs and boiled it some way or the other and dyed the wool with it. Then they made the wool themselves into yarn, usually brown tweeds that, in these days. A piece of that used to last a lifetime to anyone who got it. <laughs> They still do it over in Harris, everything by hand. But uh, we're weaving for for the mills here.
2: The Kenneth McKenzie Tweed Mill in Stornoway, a family business for most of the century. Managed today by Harris McKenzie, the grandson of the founder. Big business in a world market. James Shaw Grant is chairman of the Crofters Commission, a part-time member of the Highlands and Islands Development Board and chairman of the Harris Tweed Association.
11: Harris Tweed was made traditionally in all the islands. It came to be called Harris Tweed because it was from Harris that it was first marketed
10: commercially. Harris Tweed uh, is definitely the, by far the biggest industry in, in the island. And uh, this has been the case since uh, the early part of the century. My own uh, grandfather, Kenneth Mackenzie, built his first mill in 1906. This was the first carding and spinning mill uh, which uh, marketed uh, Harris Tweed. And uh, the wool uh, that we buy from mainland producers. Uh, is processed by us to the various shades that are required to match up with the designs that are ordered by by a particular customer. And um, it is our responsibility to deliver the prepared warp and weft for weaving to the crofter weavers daily at their own homes in the island of Lewis and Harris. Um, These crofts are scattered throughout the whole island and um, we have an agreed uh, collection date. Uh, the product is then taken back to complete the, the, other, the remaining processes of washing, milling, which puts the body and the handle into the cloth. The cloth then is, is examined by our own examiners. The cloth then is passed to a separate department, which is uh, run by uh, the uh, Harris-Tweed Association examiners. These people um, police the cloth and cover all processes. And um, that's more or less the end of the uh, the process from our point of view. There have been many changes over the years which uh, are natural. There have been marked changes uh, in the world textile markets. The present cloth uh, is 28 to 29 inches wide double that width, say 58 to 60 inches wide, there would be a considerable uh, advantage from a making-up point of view. It would be cheaper from a making-up point of view, less wastage. There are other uh, avenues open to us, of course. Uh, The ladies' business, which is uh, limited because of the width of the fabric. Um, The the, the difficulty uh, here is that um, hand-weaving on a single-width fabric is one thing, but producing a double-width cloth of twice the width is another matter. At the present moment, it would appear that the physical effort involved would be just too much for a weaver. Peddling twice the weight is quite a problem.
11: The particular feature of the industry is that the weaving is carried out by the islanders at their own homes, so that it is still genuinely a crofter industry. Now, we are in the process of considering, nothing has been decided, but we are considering the possibility of asking the government to amend the trademark to permit the use of power under properly controlled conditions which would preserve the cottage character of the industry as far as possible while permitting more sophisticated machinery. The market for the single-width cloth is declining rapidly so that... uh, The weaving force has been reduced by approximately 50% in the last five years and the spinning uh, strength has been reduced by almost 50% in the same period so that unless action is taken, there's going to be a very serious slump in the Harris-Tweed industry.
3: If you did have big business coming in, I think it would have to be an industry which would give employment to islanders but one which would not... Give you this feeling of rush and dust and hurry and destroy this feeling of
0: um, togetherness which
3: one has at the moment.
0: What we are scared of, you see, is that, that even what's left of our culture is going to be swamped by what's coming on the scene now, which of course we know could be a boon and a blessing. That would be all right with strong cultures. But with a weak culture such as we have, we are in a weaker position to withstand the onrush of what's to come. It's as near as that.